All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. G'day guys, Travis here, Fitness Education Online, and welcome to another episode of Bro Science, sorting fact from fiction in the fitness industry. And I'm joined, as always, with my brother, Dr. Craig Matern. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Trav. Excited to be here once again. So... What we what have we got on today, Craig? Well, I'm. I don't, uh, hopefully, you're. Are you caffeinated as well? I've got a coffee with me. I'm uh, a little bit tired. There was. Uh, I don't know. Did you get the storm last night? No, not much. No. Not much bad weather here. So we got a storm last night, which meant that I had to share my bed with a four-year-old golden retriever that was uh, scared of the thunder. So I'm a little bit sleep deprived, but hopefully we'll uh, we'll push right through. Um, we've been. We've been doing a. We've been having a good run with the uh, the recent episodes. Um, we've just uh, recently recorded one with Ash King, which uh, which I really enjoyed. And and of note, uh, out of that, I've got I've updated my vision board. Uh, you'll have to listen to the episode to to find out whether that's all about. But I had a look at this list of goals that I put up there a little while back, and they weren't particularly relevant. So I've I've updated them, and uh, and it's helping me get some focus moving forward. So I don't know. I don't know if you're getting any positive effects from these podcasts. Is it? Changing your life? Well, I mean, I like I like the information. So for me, I, I listen and uh, you know I, I enjoy learning new bits and pieces. Uh, I can't say that I've I'm a big I'm not contrary to you know maybe popular opinion. I'm not a huge goal setting person. You know, like I'm not a mm. huge like write it down, put it on the wall. Mm. It just isn't it, it isn't something that's ever really motivated me uh, a huge amount and. Um, Shit from the hip. Yeah, I don't know. It's not something like ticking off the boxes and stuff like that. Doesn't really, doesn't do it for me. You know, like I'm doing, I'm working on a program at the moment, a specific kettlebell program. Whilst we've been in lockdown and out of the gyms, and it's tonight. It's a good program. I'm really enjoying it, and it's three sessions a week. And it's just, you know, I just put it in the calendar. Like once I've done it, done, tick, done. And I'm not, I don't have it. Like oh, I need to do three sessions a week. That it just doesn't. I don't find it works, you know, like I can put down, you know, I need to yes. do three sessions plus two yogas and it just doesn't work for me. It's just, I put it in my head and I just, I just get it done. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause it's actually part of how, how we're wired. I'm, I'm listening to a, to a good book with um, all about resilience and, and talking about different stress responses and that. And it actually talks about, um, you know, how the, the dopamine is that reward pathway. And actually I think it might be one of your courses that I'm, that I'm touching on as well that we might be discussing next week. How, how actually ticking off things off a list is is part of that dopamine reward pathway. So obviously, your pathway is maybe a little bit different, loaded than mine. Maybe your pathway is more about uh, I don't know bacon and uh, bacon and bread and uh, and toast, and and mine's about ticking off checklists. So we, we all get rewarded by different things, don't we? Well, that's interesting that you're talking about that. That's for those of you who have been familiar. Maybe we could get them on as a guest at some point to chat with you. Um, which could be a really interesting conversation. A lot of that has come from, say, PH360. So mm. within the PH360 system, they talk about uh, the dopamine and how that is the driver of like the reward system for a particular somatype, I believe is the mm. phenotype, maybe, is the, is the correct word. And that, that would be the crusaders, they say. Um, and those sort of people like ticking boxes. They like making sure they've achieved lists. And, and for me, it's it's, you know... Based on based on pair three sixty stuff, I am a diplomat, a slow moving boat. They would call me uh, sloth. <laughs> sloth, yeah, sloth, a, a giant sloth. I'm like the giant sloth. I think is probably the accurate the term, yeah. uh, deter, uh, you yeah. know, the accurate description. So, yeah, for me, it, it's not really. I almost find it puts. It almost makes me paralyzed to look at it. And I'm like, ah, it, it actually mm. gives me more anxiety to do that sort of stuff than it does uh, than it does yeah, to right. not do it. If that makes sense, I, I, yeah, just, I don't like having that list and looking at it because it's, yeah, it may, maybe it's a matter of having a future. smaller you, list. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess your thing is just about uh, conquering what's in front of you. Um, getting on to what we want to talk about today, which you've actually your, your giant sloth comment sort of uh, pushes towards that. So. 
what we want to follow on, I guess, from our very this uh, this is probably going to be end up being our, maybe our tenth episode or or a little bit up tenth episode recorded, but we might it might not come out in that order. But um, it'll be uh, a follow on from our very first episode talking about the real importance of exercise and how exercise can can make you live longer, um, but but maybe in a different sort of more specific way. And it's about uh, getting into the getting into the gym and and turning that that puny sloth into a giant sloth and why that's uh, beneficial for you to to live uh live longer another another caveat is i forwarded that uh that episode a very first episode to someone who works in nursing homes and, and does a bit of geriatrics work and her, her off the cuff response was i don't want to live longer i just want to live better like so the, both of our both of our you know that and I, I told her listen to the first episode we're not we're not uh talking about prolonging a poor quality of life it's all about uh living longer and living well and so that's what today's episode's going to be about as well yeah, it sort of ties in together, I suppose, in that um, this episode today is going to help us live longer in, in, a, in, a, in a sense of it's going to prevent bad things from happening to us. And, and I suppose what we're talking about as well is, is making sure we've got that quality of life because what we're going to be talking about today and title of the episode is How to Outrun the Grim Reaper. So what we're going to be talking about today is falls prevention and we're going to be talking about what that issue is on the the health system what that issue is who who is affected by that issue um how can we prevent it how as personal trainers what sort of role we can play as well so there's a whole heap of different factors there that we're, we're going to dive into um but yeah we're looking at falls prevention and in that obviously you know like if you're you know like talking to that particular person who's in the nursing home saying well i just want a better quality of life well, if you're never getting out of the bed, you're never falling, right? So, you know, we, we want to make sure everyone's going to be up and moving and, and being active for as long as possible because that's what it's about. You know, like I'm sure, you know, we've sort of seen it within family that you, you really, you want people moving as long as possible and that's that's the best quality of life that you want. And the minute that you sort of start losing some of that stuff and some of that, that mobility uh, becomes... Um, I don't know whether problematic or, but it's it's definitely a less enjoyable experience for everybody. Yeah, it's very much. This is one instance where the whole use it or lose it philosophy actually rings quite true. So uh, it is really important, and and I guess it's not maybe one of our sexiest topics talking about uh, falls prevention and that sort of stuff. But it it actually is. Um, it's going to be applicable to all of us, and we all have. Uh, whether it's family members or ourselves or clients or, or whoever we're dealing with. As we move forward, it's it's appreciating this is actually a big, a big issue, and it's as much as we talk about uh, broad uh, health health you know impacts on the health system. So whether we're talking about you know cardiovascular disease, or whether we're talking about mental health, or whether we're talking about a global pandemic, this is something that universally affects uh, us, irrespective of where we live in the world. Assuming we live long enough to get to this point, uh, but it is it is a it is a big ticket item. And it is it is one that we probably need to stress the importance of because a lot of people would would probably if they haven't had an uh, an older relative or they haven't sort of dealt with this maybe it's not really in the forefront of their mind but it's a big one where it's it's actually a, a prevention a prevention thing and and talking to to our listeners who might mainly be that sort of person trying to type this is sort of saying hey you guys you guys again and this is another example of saying you guys are the ones that are potentially going to make the difference. Mm. It's going to be the people out there getting people moving that are actually going to make a difference. They're going to save lives, keep, keep people living longer and keep people living their lives better into those older age and keeping away from the Grim Reaper. Yeah, so like, like you mentioned, it's, it's one of those things, I suppose you're never, you know, you're never too late to start, but, but obviously, you know, the, the earlier we can keep ourselves moving and keep ourselves active, the better we last as we get older and older. Because, you know, people sitting here, you know, I suppose the, the statistic we look at here for, for falls sort of kicks in at that sort of 65 and above. Um, but we all know there's, there's sort of different 65-year-olds. There's the 65-year-olds who are still running around playing tennis quite happy. Um, and then there's the 65-year-olds who are who are sort of struggling to get up and down the stairs and struggling to move around a bit. So obviously there, there are different um, there are different cohorts of people. But mm. yeah, we're, obviously the, the, the sooner we get people moving, the, the better they are as they get to these sort of ages. Yeah, so I guess it's a, it's a double-edged sword to a certain extent. So 
it is a case of prevention is really important and from an early age and we'll sort of talk on that as we get as we get through the episode but uh, to quote a, a famous uh, elderly marathon ra- runner, so Charles Euster, who uh, was running marathons into his late 90s, you know, famous quote that he had was, anybody that tells me that they're too old to exercise, I tell them to make an appointment at the crematorium because they won't live very long. And, and he really stressed that he wants people to know that they can reboot their body at any age. So it's, you know, the earlier the better, but it's never too late to start for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny. I remember... Uh, going through, I don't know, some of our current topics that we've been talking about with, with within fitness education online and looking at someone who picked up bodybuilding at the age of like 50 or 60 years old and, you know, really transformed their body even at that later stage of their, you know, the later mm. stage of their life, having not done anything like that ever. So, uh, yeah, it's never too late to get started. So, but like we mentioned, we're talking about predominantly kicks in at around that 65 uh, mm. age mark, age bracket. Then you mentioned one of the things there is it's not just uh, an Australian problem. It's not just like, it's not an isolated problem. How big is, say, falls, like what, what sort of burden does it place on the healthcare system globally? Yeah, so it's, it's a major public health issue. So uh, looking at a few statistics, so around the world, they're sort of talking uh, upwards, getting close to three quarters of a million falls occurring each year. Uh, it's ranked as the second leading cause of unintentional injury death, uh, secondary to to road traffic accidents. And we all know that you know the 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 road death toll is is significant. So just behind that, that's you know dying from an injury in a car crash is deaths related to falls. If we bring it back a little bit more locally, New South Wales, uh, from recent recent years, uh, twenty seven thousand hospitalizations uh, each year and up to four hundred deaths. So not insignificant, you know, much higher than the numbers we're seeing from COVID at the moment. So this this is a this is a problem. This is the this is the falls pandemic, and it, it keeps happening every year. And it's something that we can we can prevent. It's the highest cost to the New South Wales health system of any incident. So it actually costs the health system more than road traffic accidents, and that is probably related to the volume of it and the fact that there's lots of uh, there's uh, lots of different varying degrees of injury and demand on the health system. Would that be maybe like because of the age factor that, that people having to stay in hospital care longer or having to receive longer uh, or more amounts of like OT or, or something like yeah. that as well? Or? I, I'd say probably a big part of it's the population. So that, you know, even a, a rel- relatively inconsequential fall uh, for someone, if they're a vulnerable person because they've got lots of uh, ongoing illnesses or they're quite elderly or they've got social issues, that that one fall might lead to a three-week hospital admission. Whereas if you have a, a similarly inconsequential minor car accident, it might be an, a, an attendance at the emergency department, a quick tick, you know, minimal injuries and sent home. Whereas if, if you know, rather than a 30-year-old who's, who's involved in a minor fender bender that needs to get checked through hospital... If you've got an eighty-year-old who has a a minor fall, it sort of can unravel a lot of the other the other things. There's a lot of flow on. And there's a lot of other stuff that that falls around it. Yeah, and I so mean, I, like anecdotally, I know uh, my wife Brenda, Brenda's grandmother, had a fall just at the beginning of COVID, and um, you know she was living by herself and all that sort of stuff. Had a fall and has been basically mm. I don't know whether the correct term is institutionalized. You know, she's gone into mm. like an aged care facility. Uh, had to have an operation, had major issues with the operation, had to have another operation, and essentially hasn't got out of bed since. So she's basically gone from living alone to having a fall and never getting out of bed since, you know, like a good 18 months, I believe, you know. So it's um, it can that, happen that's like not that. A, and- that's not an uncommon story, and it's not, you know, some people are re- recurrent fallers, but, you know, it only takes one bad fall and a broken hip to... Uh, I guess bring a pretty unceremonious end to what might have been a you know a long and fulfilling life, which is which is very sad. And it's not, and, and we're talking about wanting to live better. So we certainly want to live our lives on our terms and and reduce the risk of that. And we'll, we'll definitely get into how we can make a difference and prevent that happening. In terms of the risk and the likelihood, you know, one in three people over the age of sixty five, and one in two people over the age of eighty, are at risk of falls that will relate. Uh, lead to serious injury. So each year, it's about a third of people over 65. And as the age increases, it gets higher. People who are in long-term care, you're looking at 
uh, up to you know over a third of those are at risk of recurrent falls, uh, and and you know it's responsible for for up to up to ten to fifteen percent of all emergency department visits. So it's 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 a big problem, and you know greater than half of the injury related hospitalizations for people above sixty five are from falls. You know it's it's a huge huge numbers, so it is a big problem, and it is something that we need to um, make it making a, a real effort towards. Uh, managing when they happen and preventing them from from happening. So before we get into the prevention side of things and sort of the role we can play as as personal trainers or or fitness professionals, what are some of the common risk factors that we'd be looking at that are potentially behind uh, some of the falls? Yeah, so it, it, it comes from a lot of things. And so uh, as we sort of said, obviously advancing age is, is a really big part of it. Uh, any Any sort of other chronic underlying illnesses will will uh, contribute, especially if they affect people's movement. So chronic pain from arthritis, if they've got any sort of degenerative move, movement disorders, so your, your Parkinson's, uh, any of those sort of diagnoses, uh, you know, cognitive de- de- issues, so Alzheimer's, dementia, that sort of thing will, will increase the risk. Uh, there's also other, other things, so multiple medication use, uh, you know, other, uh, other substances. So alcohol use, uh, lack of exercise is a really big one. Um, just, cur- like, just, just going back to the alcohol one, this is as a yep. curious question. I remember our, uh, our grandfather, uh, Orpa, Omar always used to enjoy whiskey, Bailey's, all that sort of good stuff. Mm. I assume as you get older, your tolerance for alcohol also diminishes. So like would, with the fact that if they're they're easier to to be inhibited by alcohol could lead to the falls, is that? Yeah, I think it sort of depends. So uh, there's a there's probably an element of training that would go in there. So if they're if they're a lifelong drinker, they probably can tolerate a fair mu- a fair amount until their liver gives in. Uh, so it'd be a bit of a combination. I, I remember Ulpa um, used to be well well situated in his seat when he started having his occasional scotch. So it's just. You know, being mindful. We don't want to take all the joy out of life here. We're not. Uh, we're not telling people they can't have their scotch and Baileys of an evening. But you just need to be mindful that any sort of um, any sort of substance that's going to impair your coordination is is going to increase that risk. In terms of the physical risk factors, so if we're looking at purely the physicality as opposed to all the sort of social determinants and all that sort of stuff, the particular things that we'll be interested in in looking at people from a physical state, it's their strength, their balance is a really big one their coordination. Um, and one interesting one is their walking speed. So how quickly they can actually move. Uh, visual issues, medications, and any sensory losses. So they're not getting that, that feedback. So a big one would be, for instance, you know, diabetics. If they've got reduced sensation in their feet, that increases their risk. Um, you know, if they're picking poor footwear, that increases their risk. If they've got lots of throw rugs and clutter around the house, that increases their risk. All that sort of stuff is, uh, is quite, quite important. But the, the really big thing here, and it's going to lead into the prevention, that you know, up to three hours of challenging balance exercises slashes falls risk by 40% or more. So almost, so almost three hours the risk week of or... getting people. Yeah, yeah. So three hours, um, three hours per week of balance-based stuff. So that's okay, not a so huge amount, right? Not a huge amount. Over seven days, you're looking at what that could be almost, how's your maths, 20 minutes a day? Yeah, half an hour a day with a day off half an hour a day so what so we've got balance activities we've got strength we've got coordination we've got walking speed so Mm. let's get into i suppose um let's get into maybe how we can test for some of these things so how Mm. we can identify is it someone's balance is it someone's strength is it their coordination is that walking speed what are some Mm. options that trainers have for fitness assessment let's take a quick break When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Now. 
Yeah, so there's a few different things that they, they look at. And, and this is one that we sort of, you get a bit apprehensive as someone gets a bit older and a bit more frail that you don't want to test them and, and you're sort of a bit worried. You don't want to, you know, push at the edge. But they can be pretty simple things. It can be uh, simply assessing sort of sit to stand um, stuff. So in and out of a chair. So that's quite useful to, to see how effectively they can do a, a sit to stand. Some of the other tests that you can do more formulas can be a sort of, you know, sitting, stand up, walk around a, walk around a, uh, a witch's hat and come back and sit down. And you can do that for time. There's a few uh, sort of timed uh, assessments that you can do. We won't go into the specific details, but there is, there is some validated tools for that sort of, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a specific sitting rising test that you can do where you, you take someone, you get them to sit cross-legged on the ground and, and rise to standing. And this is an interesting one because I, I think when we previously discussed that, we've identified that our, our hip flexibility and, and, uh, and a few of those other things might mean that we lose a few, a few points of just trying to get off the ground. So um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different ways. And, and a really simple one is just assessing their walking and assessing how quick they're able to, to walk. Um, that, that walking speed one is a, is a big one. And there's a study that we'll, we'll have a look at um, as, we, as we go on that actually talked about where that cutoff is and really, uh, really goes into the whole, you know, Grim Reaper sort of question. So this, the sit to stand one, that's one that I've, I've heard many a time is the, I believe it was done by a Brazilian researcher. Um, and it's sort of analyzing as someone stands off the ground, uh, how many points of contact do they need? Do they need to put their elbow down, their knee down? Um, and myself having, you know, over this pandemic, diving into a little bit more yoga, I'm getting close to even being able to, I'm getting close to being able to sit cross-legged on the ground without too much discomfort, uh, because that has been a, a source of discomfort every time we start the yoga and they're like, all right, just sit on the ground cross-legged. My, my ankle hurts because I suppose it's just the pressure uh, from my leg mm. onto my ankle. Um, my hips hurt, my back hurts. Everything hurts, and I'm I'm propping myself up on like a, a 20 centimeter block to to sort of try and ease the ease the pressure there. But um, essentially, the research sort of found that the more points of contact people had on the ground, it sort of took away from from years of life expectancy. Essentially, you might need to listen to uh, episode six of Bro Science and get the uh, Theragun out pre pre activity just to loosen up and get a bit more range of motion. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's not not great, not great. <laughs> so, so that's the sit to rise test. Now, the yeah. other one that you mentioned there was the walking speed test, and mm. and this one, like I mentioned at the beginning, is how to out how how to outpace the Grim Reaper was mm. essentially the uh, you know the the title of the article or the title of the mm. the study, or how fast does the Grim Reaper walk specifically? How fast does he go, and how fast do we need to go to outpace him? Well, this is an interesting one. So um, the medical field and the scientific field does have a little bit of a sense of humor. So each year, the, the British Medical Journal, which is one of the big uh, scientific journals for medical literature, does a Christmas edition, and they often do a bit of a sort of a gag study. So there's a few interesting ones, and ones that will be interesting. One that I'll, I'll briefly talk about, which is a bit of a sidetrack, was there's an old saying about uh, orthopedic surgeons. And uh, essentially, the, the quote is, um, as strong as an ox and twice as smart. So it was always a running joke that orth orthopedic surgeons, which our brother is one, were, were brutes who didn't have a lot going up top. So they did a, they did a study of this. It was obviously led by the, the, ortho the orthopods. And it was a comparison of grip strength between orthopedic surgeons and anaesthetists. And then they also did some IQ testing to sort of compare, compare that. So this is one of the Christmas studies to, to prove whether or not... Um, orthopedic surgeons were strong as an ox and twice as smart. And they proved that the orthopedic surgeons were both stronger and smarter than the anaesthetists on average. So <laughs> that was one of the Christmas studies that, that comes to mind. But the one that we're talking about here... Just on that, though, sorry, there's, yeah, there's on. a huge correlation, right, between grip strength and and longer life, right? This is not a study we've dug up, but are you familiar with that one? Yeah, I think it's... Um, uh, I think there's a, a talk about how grip strength is a good indication of your overall... Um, physical robustness because it's something that is sort of trained by everyday life. So not many people, and if, you, if you're like me, you probably occasionally get some social media ads about like grip strength trainers, but uh, most people don't do specific grip strength training. Mm. It's, it's a factor of your everyday life. So it's a, good, it's a good representation of someone who is just on a keyboard or does not a lot of physically robust stuff. So it is actually a, an easy way to test functional life things because it, it's not, 
it's not a gym based thing. So it's not something that people gym, mm, okay. gym train, but it is something that, you know, if you test, a, 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 you know, our other brother, who's a builder, you know, you test his grip strength, it's probably going to be really good because he does uh, physical work quite often, maybe less so in his current role. But, um, you know, if you, if you test someone who has a physical job versus someone who trains in the gym, you know, if you're not doing barbell grip based things, if you're a bodybuilder that uses lots of machines and all that sort of stuff, maybe you won't have very good grip strength. So it's, it's one that's hard to fake. So it is, it is a good, good indicator of overall life strength for what I'm a better term. Sorry for the, uh, the tangent, but so let's get back into mm. the, the study on good the tangent, good tangent. So, so in, in 2011, the Christmas edition was them trying to work out how quick the Grim Reaper walked. So essentially they went through and they assessed, uh, the walking speed of over 1700, uh, men above the age of 70. So a little bit of a sexist study. They only did men. For, for, in for in saying that, just on another note, I know as we w- we're looking through the stats, this seems to affect or men are, are at a higher risk than women typically. Uh, well, it sort of depends. It uh, it sort of depends. So the the issue being, uh, I would I think it's actually the other way around. But the issue being for women, they have a lot of the the postmenopausal issues regarding bone strength. Uh, so if they do fall and then if they do lose muscle mass, they're uh, a bit more likely to break bones and have more uh, serious uh, sequelae thereafter. I'd have yeah, to have a look yeah. at that specifically. But this study, so essentially they, they found that the average walking speed of these population, um, so they followed them for, for up to five years and they found during that time of the 1700, they had 266 deaths. The average walking speed was 3.2. The people who walked below three kilometers per hour were the were at a 20% increased likelihood to die. Um, and the any of the any of the men that were able to walk uh, 4.9 kilometers per hour or greater had no contact with death. So the cutoff they sort of said is if you can walk uh, faster than three kilometers per hour, your risk of mortality is significantly reduced. If you can bump that up to almost five kilometers an hour, you can clearly outrun that Grim Reaper for, for as long as you as long as you can. So that, that was that's sort of that interesting study. So that's a, that's a good way to assess. So if you do a if you do a walking speed assess and you you work out the maths of a time time to distance, get them above that three kilometers per hour, they're uh, they're going to have good good uh, life life expectancy hopefully. Yeah, so I think that like you mentioned, I think as a PT, that's probably a really good test if you're starting with a a new client or who's, who's a bit older, uh, testing that walking speed of going, okay, well, are they at that three kilometer mark? Are they below that? Are they above that? Um, and obviously then working on improving that walking speed by whether it be mm. uh, gait stuff, whether it be strength stuff, whether it be balance stuff um, is going to be really a really important role in, in, in helping them live longer. Yeah, and it's a tricky one. So we've already touched on, you know, it's really important for balance and it's really important for walking speed and it's really important for this. So um, realistically, there's sort of five big points that you're looking at for your falls prevention. So the things that we want to have, we want to have increased strength in the lower, lower limbs. So that's that's really important. Uh, so especially calf muscle strength. So that's quite important in reducing the risk of falls. So simple things like calf raises, um, which you can do, you know, holding onto something for some support will probably be quite helpful for that. Uh, the gait imbalances, so actually improving the way people walk can can make a make a big improvement, and and that might be dependent on medical issues. You know, if they've got an arthritic ankle or you know gout in the foot or something like that, something that's limiting their gait. Trying to actually improve that can make a big difference. Balance and coordination is a big one. So it you you actually have to give them challenging balance activities. So where they're you know, actually working to keep their balance. So you need to push them pretty close to the limit within safety. Uh, then you actually also surprisingly need upper limb, limb strength. And this is about making sure people are robust enough that should they fall, that they're able to recover themselves. Mm. Because realistically, you need your upper body strength to get back off the floor. Because the big problem is if you fall and you haven't got much in the way of strength, uh, especially you live alone, you're isolated. If you end up on the floor for a long time, you know, that's a pretty... Um, a pretty sad way to spend a couple of days and that that can often be one that leads to you know uh you know either 
either death or at least a, a long-term change in the amount of care you require. So that's that's one way that I used to often see in the hospital. Someone has a fall stuck on the ground for a little bit of time before they're found. And that invariably leads to, you know, living out their days in a nursing home, sadly. And then the final one is that walking speed. So getting that, that walking speed uh, up above that three kilometers per hour uh, to stay safe and active within the community. So those are the big five that we really want to we want to touch on uh, when we're training and, and keeping people active. So let's let's move on from say the tests to those big five and go. Okay, well, what are the practical tips of what we can do to improve? You know, whether it be lower body strength, whether it be balance. You've already mentioned working on balance. Uh, 30 minutes a day, roughly, um, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what are some of the other things we can look at practically as, as a trainer that we can, we can either give them homework with or, or we can, we can pr- include into our programs? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing is, is uh, again, reflecting back to our very first episode about the importance of exercise. So trying to get them active is a, is a really important first step. So the overall goal is, is looking at that 30 minutes a day for at least three days or more a week of moderate intensity of exercise. And this wants you want to be have a combination of aerobic, uh, strength and resistance, balance and flexibility integrated into that program. So trying to achieve that level of activity is important. Uh, remembering the all the risks that come from excessive inactivity or excessive sitting time, uh, excessive lack of movement. So that's that's an important one to start with. And then the the lack of physical activity increases frailty in itself and it will worsen healthy conditions. So motivating them to do something is better than nothing. So that's the start point, getting them the gear, getting them through the door. Um, Being mindful that this population might not be the population that you're getting into CrossFit comps and doing, you know, hit programs and high intensity of stuff. So this vigorous exercise might not be possible. So you need to have uh, a bit of an armory for, for the different populations. Because as you said, you might have the 55-year-old bodybuilder who's able to keep up with the, with the young crew, or you might have someone who's a bit more frail, who has some chronic Ill issues, you know, has a knee replacement, has a hip replacement, can't do high-intensity um, stuff. So you might need to look at a low-intensity resistance program. So thing like, you know, chair aerobics, so a seated-based uh, exercise activity. I think I think our dad does a little bit of this when, uh, when COVID wasn't happening. He does a bit of an exercise class, which I think there was a fair bit of seated base activities. Uh, Aquasize, so getting in the pool, because that um, gives that, you know, much lower risk. So they're not really at risk of falling and hurting themselves. And they're working against resistance in multiple planes through the water. And then lots of sit to stand activities, because that's what we need to do. And, and I know we've spoken about this before when we talk about that, you know, shouldn't be squatting or, you know, not appropriate to squat. We've got to get up and out you got to get up and out of a car. You got to get up and off the toilet. You got to get up and off the couch. So, actually, doing a, a structured sit to stand. So simple as, you know, every time you get up from your chair, sit back down, get back up, sit back down. Do that, you know, five or ten times each each time you stand up, and then you've got that little bit of incidental exercise, mm. that strength, that balance, that that practical side of things. Moving on to the balance exercises. So trying to work out how you. Um, how you adjust that. So things that you can you can try to do is you want to uh, make them quite life specific. So we're not trying to teach them to be high level yogis, um, you know, doing epic tree poses and whatever the other balance poses are. I'm, I'm just trying to I'm trying to remember. Just from, just for me, the mountain pose. The, the mountain pose. <laughs> so standing. That's that's standing. Um, you should try a bit of shavasana or corpse pose. I, I suspect that's your favorite one, right? Um, so changing levels on stairs is a useful one. So if you've got a staircase, getting them to move up and down, um, just a little bit of unpredictability. Uh, negotiating obstacles. So just, you know, setting out a little bit of a, a walking course with a few things to get around, different levels to step over, uh, things to navigate around. And then moving at very speed is a really important one. So often often we're able to get into a bit of a rhythm, but if you if you have to be able to speed up and slow down, that causes you to activate a lot of these uh, proprioceptive uh, muscles and 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 uh, small support structural muscles just to sort of adjust and, and move. So so you want to you want to challenge them, but not exceed what they can do functionally. And it needs to be relevant for you know navigating around the shopping the shopping center if someone stops in front of you. It needs to be relevant to you know having your grandkids and and having little people run around your feet and and not being put off and tripping over or you know managing around pets or all that sort of stuff. So it needs to be a little bit life functional. Um, it's funny when, it, I, when it, I thought of balance, um, 
I wasn't really necessarily thinking of changing direction and lifting my leg up over an obstacle and stuff like that. But I was thinking of, you know, like, hey, if I'm going to get them, you know, I'm a typical meathead, right? So I'm, I'm the uh, I'm the bro science part here. I was thinking of picking them up, like picking up an object that's offset on mm. one side without my legs being completely, you know, my feet being completely symmetrical. I was, I was thinking mm -hmm. more along those lines of things and, I don't know, you mentioned we've got an episode coming up with JP, who is like the, that's his thing, is the 3D movement sort of stuff. And yeah. um, and and making sure that, you know, when you want to pick up the grandkids, you know, you're not going to be, the grandkids are not completely symmetrical objects that are mm. like a barbell where you set your feet and off you go, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, leaning over to one side. It's, it's you know, having one foot out in front of the other. Um, that's what I was thinking in my head of balance activities in combination with some strength stuff as well. Yeah, for sure. So that's a that's a really good, so asymmetrical strength exercise is really useful. And I guess it depends on uh, the level that you're at. So if you're just doing simple body weight stuff uh, for people just trying to navigate the world, if you're trying to ramp it up to that next level, doing that asymmetrical training stuff is, is probably where uh, you can get the, the fitness industry in. I guess the other one that we often think about is sort of ankle rehab which is one that you really focus on balance. So the simple ones is, you know, standing on one leg to start with and then standing on one leg while you're doing something different. So the one I always tell people is when you're brushing your teeth, stand on your bad leg. And that, that causes you to sort of uh, have multiples, uh, multiple neurological outputs because you're having to think about brushing your teeth and also trying to keep that balance. And then adding in sort of uneven surfaces. So, you know, standing on a pillow or a wobble board or, or that sort of thing. So, you can do that with these sort of balance activities too, changing that sensory input. So balancing with your eyes open, balancing with changing of head positions is a big one. So uh, this, again, one with ankle, ankle rehab. Sort of stuff. Yeah, so standing on one leg and then looking up and looking down, standing on one leg, shutting your eyes, um, you know, standing on one leg, juggling, um, all this sort of good stuff. Let's take a quick break. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. So we've got um, some balance there. We've got some strength work. We've, we've spoken about whether it be the incidental strength work, whether it be the direct strength work uh, with some asymmetrical loading. Um, you've, we, we've got a goal of that 30 minutes for balance. What, what are we talking then when it comes to uh, exercise, whether it be strength or, or cardio? What are our, what are, what, what, what's the ideal outcome yeah so i mean the recommendations are sort of 30 to 60 minutes up to five five days a week is so we want 150 minutes of exercise a week up to 300 uh you can adjust so if you're doing more intense you can get away with a little bit a little bit less time uh, versus if you're doing low intensity but realistically you know as much as you can do the better so it's um it's important to just do what you can and in terms of the i guess the combination the other thing that i i sort of wanted to get in and talking about in and, and I guess, you know, harking back to your, your comment about being the bro is, is looking at the importance of muscle mass and strength and, and how, you know, your example of that, that the gentleman or lady who took up bodybuilding in later life, you know, they're actually doing a really, really good thing for their long-term health because that, as you get older, you know, as much as uh, we're looking at, at younger age, you know, avoiding being lean and being thin as being important when you're young as you're getting older, you're actually more protective to have a bit of bulk. So muscle and, and even fat can actually be protective as you're moving on. It's the really skinny, frail, elderly people that are at the highest risk. And I guess harking back to the risk, you know, when I was going through my, my studies um, at med school, uh, one that really sat with me is, you know, if you have a fall, your risk of dying is greater from that fall than if you have a diagnosis of cancer. So, you know, you really want to, do everything you can to to prevent that and and so i actually I, I delved into a few things about muscle mass and the importance of muscle mass 
and and a condition called sarcopenia. Do you know what sarcopenia is, Travis? I do not. So sarco means muscle. That's a Latin word for muscle. And penia means you know loss or or, or low level. So like osteo osteopenia is is the thinning of bones before you get to osteoporosis. So sarcopenia is just a, a, a reduction in muscle mass. And there's actually been quite a few studies that look at people's potential longevity based on the amount of muscle they have. So there's lots of things that look at um, body fat and you know, where your body fat is. So if you've got lots of visceral fat, you're an increased risk of dying from, from different, different issues. But there hasn't been, the, the other thing they're finding is they actually look at the amount of muscle that you have rather than, you know, because obesity is obviously a, a pretty hot topic in terms of um, health and fitness and, and, and longevity and, and, and in the medical field. But as, and as we've talked about previously, exercise and strength is something that we probably don't talk about enough in mainstream medicine. So in terms of looking at the risk, it found women with low uh, muscle mass. So um, talking about uh, uh, central muscle mass. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, so it's, it's sort of like their core muscles. They look at, they do scans of their, of their, their thighs and look at the, the diameter of those big, those big muscles. It found that women with low muscle mass were 63 times more likely to die early compared to those with um, uh, more uh, arm or leg muscle mass. So this is talking about like core muscle strength. Uh, and men with uh, low central mass were 11 times more likely to be at risk for, for early mortality. So they're pretty crazy numbers. Um, interestingly, talking a bit about the, you know, never too young to start or um, all that sort of stuff. You know, th- there is a difference between when you start. You know, there is, um, you know, sarcopenia and that muscle wasting isn't inevitable and it can be reversed. But the younger you start, the, the better it is. And I guess it's kind of similar to um, osteoporosis and, and thinning bones. Um, one of the things that we talk about is it's really important to achieve your peak bone density, your peak bone mass uh, at a young age, because once you, once you go past 30, it sort of starts to dwindle. It's actually really important to have uh, a good muscle mass because that, uh, uh, that actually improves your bone strength. To have that at a high start, so as it dwindles off over age, you, you don't cross that, that threshold of it becoming a problem uh, too young. And it's similar for muscle mass because people over the age of 60 actually need to lift more weight. So they actually have to work a bit harder to maintain muscle mass and muscle size. And that's and that makes sense, right? Because a lot of the building of muscles is based on, you know, hormonal inputs. And, and I'm sure you'll be able to talk about um, your, your best mate, Joe Rogan, uh, who, who talks about, you know, supplementing with additional testosterone to help protect that loss of muscle mass. So it is actually harder to naturally put on muscle mass as you're getting older. Um, and, and, you know, that's because of those hormonal things. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I know you've, you sort of talked about it quite frankly, you're a, uh, uh, once you once you you cap past that forty, you you you'll follow up. I'm, I'm, looking, be... I'm looking at these aged clinics. That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> get on the juice. Get on the juice and keep yourself living young. But so so the exercise is really important. But it does get harder to get the results from exercise as you get older. That's mm. that's one of the things that you know it's never too late to start. The earlier you start, you know potentially the easier it is to get that muscle mass, and the the more likely you are to keep it. And I know one thing that. Um, we often talk about is the the muscle memory sort of idea and it's mm-hmm. it's not one that I've, I've got the studies in front of me but I, I can definitely talk to it from many anecdotal ex- evidence and from both myself and yourself you know once you've built that muscle and that strength it's you know even if you decondition and you take some time off it's so much easier to put it yeah, back yeah. on versus starting from scratch so um, and a bit of it, it will be age and stuff I remember when I was I was very very young and skinny when I finished school and, and pretty much within that first two years out of school, I put on almost sort of 15, 20 kilos. A lot of it is just maturing, but, but that first, pardon? Beer weight? weight? Could be, could be. <laughs> um, but once you put it on, it's actually easier to, to put it back on if you decondition. So it's a similar thing as you're getting through, through later life. No doubt someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger would, would be able to, to stack on a bit of mass again obviously with maybe some pharmaceutical aids um, because they've got that, that previous experience of, well, I think the way I look at that, I mean, again, I'm, I'm the bro here. So the way I look at that is muscle memory. I I think of it more as experience. It's Mm. 
it's not necessarily your muscles remember it's, it's you remember you know what sure. works you know you know how to squat already so you don't yep. have to learn to squat from zero and also if you've squatted 200 kilos it's very different when if you've been able to squat 200 kilos to when you very first start and you put 40 kilos on the bar and you're like, oh my god this 40 kilos seems really heavy you know in your head you know that you've done that you know what you're capable mm. of and and i think um the ability of of your mind to to know where you've been at before allows you to get there quicker because it's just it's just the experience i i that's the way yeah, that's the best way i can explain it 100 percent. so once one is the one you've got the technical efficiency so you know how to do the movements you know what works you've got a good program to go back to you're not sitting around in the gym you know googling stuff and working out what to do yep um two you've got the bone and the tendon strength potentially that does that does sit with you maybe you've got the neurological control and that neurological drive to provide provide that power and you've got that optimism i guess it comes back again to the episode we've we've recently had with our our psychology brethren actually having that knowing that you've done this before so you you're actually going to give it a go and you're going to be able to push that little bit harder and be that bit, little bit more resilient so it, it does make a huge difference um uh another quick study that i'll that i'll quote um just before we sort of uh, wrap up on on the last little bits again sarcopenia and more mortality so they followed a group um they followed a a, a group where they found uh 2683 deaths from all causes so it's not just from falls um and they followed them over a, a period of you know pretty much 15 years they found people without sarcopenia so people who had good intact muscle mass the uh the median survival was 16.3 years compared to 10.3 years amongst those subjects who had sarcopenia. So that's a big difference for a, for a study that went out to that sort of 15 years. It was pretty much a, and a third, you know, six years longer uh, survival for people who had that muscle mass. And that was, you know, really backed by strong, by strong evidence. And I assume harking back to, you know, your, your aged care friend that you spoke with, mm. I assume the people who are carrying more muscle mass, they're the ones who are still having an active life and it's still, are still really having a better quality of life i would imagine you'd think so because i mean even if we get back to basic principles you know if you're going to retain your muscle mass it means that you need to be doing something plenty, plenty yeah and also getting energy in as well so maybe they're the ones that uh you know are still eating and enjoying life and uh they've still got a good strong appetite and maybe they're indulging in you know in their chockies and protein and, and all that sort of stuff so they're still having you know these good you know, they're getting the mental stimulation from movement. They're getting the physical stimulation. They're, they're you know, still still eating because they've still got an appetite. Because I know, like, experience I've had with older people, you know, they, they sort of get over it, right? They don't really want to eat. They don't really want to do anything. They get pretty pretty unenthused. So it's just trying to keep those small things and that interest. You can you can still push forward and enjoy a, a really active life into your later years. I guess, harking back to, again, another anecdotal story, my, my wife's um, grandfather is is you know an international new zealand tennis player in the over 85s age bracket and he's um he's been really unsettled by covid because it has cancelled his european tennis tour at the age of 87 or 88 or so so you know he was he was a bit frustrated because he was just he was you know coming into his own in that age bracket and um and sadly all the international travel restrictions have left him with a very small pool of of players to play against so, so to beat to um, beat on the yeah, court. to beat so you know you can you can have a, an enjoyable and fulfilled life well into your later years but you really need to make some time to be physically active and and as much as it's important to have intellectual endeavors and all that sort of stuff and and uh, you know quality family time and good social connections doing exercise and getting moving is just such an important part of it and it just falls back to that exercise is medicine mantra that i always crap on about and it falls back to that the importance of personal trainers to motivate people to get them moving to keep them moving and uh making sure we're making like a you know a difference on on everyone's life keeping them living longer healthier happier fitter more muscular love it so to summarize then today where we're talking about falls prevention we know that falls make up a huge proportion of hospitalizations and really a great, I don't know whether burden's the right word, but but at a great cost uh, for, mm. you know, for the health system. Uh, on top of that, then, what can we do? What are the things we're looking for? We're looking for walking speed. We're looking to improve walking speed, keeping walking speed 
up and above three kilometers at a minimum. Um, and then if we can push towards five, we're, we're sort of looking pretty golden there. Uh, 65 is sort of that age bracket that we're, we're working on. So anywhere 65 and up. Uh, and obviously the older they are, um, the higher risk comes into play. Uh, we're looking at leg strength, balance, coordination, uh, which could be done via obstacle courses. It could be done by lifting, a lot of sit to stand stuff, which is really practical. Uh, and, and realistically, I suppose a lot of stuff that, you know, I suppose functional, you know, it's one of those things that gets thrown around a lot in the fitness field is functional training, functional training. And, and what we're really looking at, I suppose, is functional training is not necessarily standing on a, on a BOSU ball and doing a squat, but it's, you know, picking up the, the garbage and, and then putting it in the bin that's up at above, you know, like, I don't know, where's the bin? The bin for you is probably at waist height. The bin for me is maybe maybe at like chest height, right? So, you know, being able to do some of that stuff and, and move around, get up and down the stairs. Um, so really that that proper functional strength uh, as we as we age as well. Um, 300 minutes, roughly, I think you said. So getting people into, you know, two, three sessions a week, ideally. Um, and anyone who's worked with some of the older population, the social aspect is just also as important uh, they love a coffee afterwards and, and catch up afterwards. So that's also a really important part. Uh, and obviously anyone who wants any further information, you guys have delivered some some courses around training training older adults. And I've, I've done a similar presentation in there before. And in that, there's some specific examples of the sort of exercise regimes that you can, you can actually deliver, like how you can actually structure a, a workout for, for older adults to, to hit these falls prevention so if anyone wants any of that further information they can they can hit us up and we can we can definitely forward that through awesome um all right craig i think that that summarizes today's talk more or less yep definitely all right guys well thank you for tuning in thank you for listening that's been bro science and how to run how to outrun the grim reaper Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.